Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Amen. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Welcome this beautiful Sunday morning. It's nice to gather in the house of the Lord today and study the Lord's Word. So if you guys don't mind, bow with me real quick and we'll pray for our service. And then we'll get rocking and rolling, studying our scripture. So join me in a word of prayer, please, if you would. King of heaven and earth, yes. we just thank you so much for bringing us together, Lord. And thank you so much for uh, your word. And thank you so much for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Lord, uh, thank you for all that you've done for us. Because <laughs> you have done so much for people. You've done so much to show us that you're there, to reveal yourself to us, to make yourself known. You've done so much. And all that you ask is that we respond. All that you ask is that we come to you and we keep coming to you and we turn our hearts to you and not have our hearts set on our things and the things of this world. Lord, I pray, God, for all of us and anyone that would even be listening to this sermon forever, whenever, I pray, Lord, that you would show them what you want from them. And Lord, I pray that they would not be able to hold back doing what you want, Lord, rather they would do what you want instead of what they want, Lord. I love you and I praise you. I pray you keep Satan out of this message, keep Satan out of the service, keep Satan out of our minds. I pray you keep distractions out and gone and done and down and Pray they would not be, that we'd hear your message clearly today. And help me to speak, help me to deliver this message. And I pray that we would not be just hearers of the word only, but we'd be doers of the word, Lord. Yes. Not just hearing you and walking away and not doing it, Lord God, as the word says that that person is like a person that sees themselves in a mirror, but then when they walk away, they forget what they saw because they don't do it. I pray, Lord God, that we would hear the things that we hear today and we go off and we do them. That way we'd be reminded of everything that you want. Lord, we love you and praise you, God. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get into our main message, as I was studying for this message this week, the Lord showed me something. He showed me quite a lot of things, but initially... Almost immediately, he showed me that I left something out of last week's message. He showed me that I didn't teach Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So I completely forgot about that verse from last week's message. So I've said before here at Gospel Saving Church that I teach verse by verse by verse by verse through book, through book, through book. And God is not going to let me say something and lie. And I wouldn't want to lie. So he's keeping me honest in what I said before. And I can't say I teach verse by verse if I leave a verse out. So I left verse 12 out. So we're going to study verse 12 first and foremost before we get into our main body. And I I believe though, last week I know for sure I didn't have a real good grasp on verse 12 and how it fit contextually into the message. So I thought, well, maybe the Lord will give me what it means kind of at the end and I would be able to break it down kind of at the end. 
And but I never did get that because we were thrusted another way. But as I was looking at this message this week, I looked back as the Lord drew me back and said, "Hey, you forgot one." And I said, "Oh man." And I said, "But Lord, I don't know what it means. I still don't know how it fits in contextually with that section of scripture." And the Lord said, "Oh, here, boom." And he gave me the wisdom and said, here, here it is, Ed. Here's the meaning of it. So I said, wow, okay. Well, I, I guess then, Lord, I, you're keeping me honest and I can't break my word to you or the people that are listening to me. I have to teach it. So let's read the one verse and before we read our main verses for today. And then we'll, I'll teach exactly what the Lord showed me. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 12, he says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So, I believe one of the reasons, the main reason that God wanted me to not teach it last week, but teach it this week, is because it really, you know, this is, a, we're in the south here, we're in Texas, McKinney, Texas as of right now, and one of the sayings that they have around here is that, it's going to stick in your craw. It's going to stick in your craw. And that's a southern saying for it's going to stick in your gut. And the Lord really stuck this one in my gut this week, in my craw. And I hope, and I've actually prayed that it would do the same for you as it did for me because I, I haven't been able to let this one go. And it's been so beneficial and such a blessing for me this week to have this one stick with me. It's almost like that your grandmother's oatmeal that you can never get rid of. It's, it just sticks in there, and I hope and pray that it'll stick with you as much as it stuck with me. What is Jesus saying here? What is he saying? He says, contextually here, we have the word therefore again. So he says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you. So it's therefore is a sentence connector again. It means, what did I say before? And then because of that, therefore, this is how I want you to be, or therefore, this, look at this. So contextually, we have, therefore, since God, perfect and holy, never sinned once, gives these amazing, if you remember last week, we talked about the amazing promises that God gives to man. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. And contextually, we looked at how what a perfect and loving and awesome God that never sinned and never did anything wrong. Why would he even allow us to do something like that? But that's just love, that he shows us that love, that he shows that love to wicked sinners. Anyone that asks shall receive. Anyone that seeks shall find. And anyone who knocks on the door of God's house, it'll be open to them. So contextually, because we have perfect God, holy God, never sinned once, and yet he gives these perfect and amazing promises. Contextually, we have... His perfect love to all people. Then he says, you love and treat others how you want to be treated because I love and treat others the way I want them to treat me. This is what I do for you. These are the good things I do for you. I want that back. And then, of course, we have the parallel between mankind to mankind. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. If a good and awesome and loving God can treat evil people with love, why can't we treat people with love? Because we want to be loved. Do unto others as you desire them to do unto you. Um, third point, don't confuse this, for this is the law and the prophets, with 
Matthew twenty two thirty six through forty, where Jesus says a great you know a a, a, a rich young ruler or a Pharisee came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love the na you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Don't confuse uh, seven twelve. For this is the law and the prophets, because this is just talking about loving the neighbor, because Jesus never said in verse 12 here, on this one hangs all the law and the prophets. He's just saying that part of the law, the law in the law and in the prophets is God says, you want others to do good to you, do good to them. So it's not all the law and the prophets, like Matthew 22, it is just love, basically love your neighbor as yourself. It's it's part of what Jesus spoke about in 22, but it's not all. So don't get, don't get that confused. So how important is this in our lives? How important is this in our lives? Fundamentally, it's important. It's important how you do this with others, whether family, friends, or just people in general. Uh, good rule of thumb. Before I'm going to speak, before I'm going to say anything to anybody else, would I like it if they said that to me? Before you're going to do anything to anybody, before you're going to act in a certain way toward anybody, say to yourself, would I like it if somebody acted that way toward me? And if we lived with that one principle, because this week it really impacted me, this principle, like I said, it really stuck with me after God showed me this. I found that I was even less likely to even get frustrated with somebody because would I want them to be frustrated with me? And so your quality of life, if you just keep this principle and you use this principle, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And just like I was talking about with my son this morning, that doesn't mean then that others are going to treat you the way you treat them, but that's not what God said. He's basically saying, what I want you to do, because I'm love, is treat others the way you want to be treated. Simply. And on my end, keeping my conscience clear before God, when I treat others the way that I want to be treated... Wow, it keeps my conscience so clean and I go, well, you know, I want to be, I want people to act that way toward me. I want people to talk that way toward me. So I need to, whatever I say or do to somebody else, I want to do that to them first and be an example. So anyway, I hope that that sticks in your gut as much as it did mine this whole week, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Um, because it I it just it was just it just blew me away. Anyway, so keep that in mind. Now let's move on to our message today. And the title of our message today is The Narrow Gate. The Narrow Gate. So let's read Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Because those were our next verses, teaching line by line, verse by verse here. And Jesus says to us here, Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. 
because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So this next teaching here is Jesus talking to us about two different paths. We have the path to life and he says we have the path to destruction. Two different paths. Now, all mankind will go by one of those two paths. Either to life or to destruction. So right off the bat, we see four eternally, eternally important ideas that Jesus is teaching us about here. Idea one. We have two gates. One gate is narrow. One gate is wide. We have two ways. One way is difficult, and the other way is broad. Two ways. Idea three. How many people will travel those two ways that Jesus describes as difficult and broad? He says that few will travel the difficult way, and many will travel the broad way. And idea four. We have the two ways that Jesus describes as difficult and broad. Oh, I'm sorry, idea four. Excuse me, I lost my place. Where the pathways lead to. One pathway leads to life, and the other pathway leads to destruction. So, starting off, verse 13. Let's go verse by verse here. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus was giving a command. He wasn't giving a suggestion. He didn't say, if you want to go in by the narrow gate, you can. Well, if you decide to, that'd be great. He said, enter by the narrow gate. That's a command. That's a statement. That's something he wants people to do. Why? Why does Jesus want people to go in by the narrow gate? Is he doing it because he's evil? I don't think so. I believe it's because God, what? 2 Peter 3.9 God desires no one to perish, but all to come to life. All to come to repentance. He wants all to enter the narrow gate because he wants all to be saved. So who or what? is that narrow gate. What kind of gate are we looking for? What kind of gate do we look at a narrow gate? It's very broad. It's very, it's very uh, I don't know, what is that narrow gate? I don't understand it. What does it look like? Well, we hit the nail on the head last week. The gate itself is Jesus. We talked about that last week. John 10, 7 and 8, 9. Jesus said to them again, most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Whoever came by me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the Greek word for door, because I actually was wondering, is that really true? Because that's the first thing that came to my mind again. The Greek word for door is thyra. It's defined as used of opening like a door, an entrance way or passage into and so we thought, oh, I thought, well, okay, that's door. What about gate? Because Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate here. So what's the word for gate? The word for gate 
in Hebrew is pile. And metaphorically, because Jesus is not a real door that you go in and out of your house, he's a metaphorical door because you have to enter through him in order to get to heaven, not you grab his handle and twist it and open his stomach and then you climb into his belly or something like that. So metaphorically, the gate gate in uh, pile in the Greek is the access or entrance into any state. So what are the common thread that those two words, although not the same, have in common? Entrance. Entrance is the common thread that these two words have in common. That's how I know that Jesus is talking about the narrow gate. He's talking about himself. He is the narrow gate that he's telling us about here. So who is the gate but Jesus, just like we read here in 13 and 14. So what adjective did I just say that Jesus used to talk about himself as the gate? What adjective? Adjective is the describing word. What adjective? He said, I am the narrow gate. I am the narrow gate. Why did Jesus say that the gate is narrow? Why? Why? We have to look at why. Because, I mean, Jesus, he was a man like anybody else, wasn't he? Well, I actually, God just put all this in my mind, and I was so blown away by the research that I did here. Let's look at Jesus' human characteristics for a moment, and his human earthly life on the earth when he lived on the earth for 33 years. Number one, he was born in one of the smallest countries on the planet. Have you ever looked at Israel as a nation? They are one of the smallest countries in all of the whole world. Then our prophecy in uh, Matthew 2.6, which is also a prophecy out of uh, Micah, uh, he says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, well the Bible's saying there, so the Messiah, Christ, Jesus, not only came out of the smallest nation, one of the smallest nations in the whole world, he also came out of the smallest city in all of Israel. Bethlehem. Right here in the prophecy. All, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? So, Jesus, so the prophecy was talking about how Judah, or how Bethlehem was the smallest city. So not only was he born in the sm one of the smallest countries in the world, he was born out of, the sm out of the smallest city in that smallest country in the whole world. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack here where he was born. What, what else? He wasn't born to anybody powerful. He wasn't born to any king or any ruler or any dictator. He was born to a nothing, middle-class working carpenter named Joseph. Carpenters, not real rich people. Carpenters, kind of like a kind of like a contractor today, kind of like a somebody that just builds a house today. All they do is is put up boards and nail the nails into boards. They're not powerful. They're not. They're not super. Uh, they're not. They're not super. Uh, have a lot of authority in their societies. They're just simple people. So he's born to a simple carpenter. And of course, testimonies of people that live with Jesus. Isn't this not the carpenter's son, Jesus? He was a carpenter as well too. People followed in their dad's trades at those times. In his later years, he proclaimed himself as the Messiah, and he had twelve not so faithful followers that all at his death left him, and he was all left alone. The religious leaders, who he claimed to be one of, 
that, that they were supposed to be waiting on him, what did they do but hated on him? So if you look at his life as a whole, it was of nobody special. A man that had no high standard or high stature in society. He was one a man born in one of the smallest cities ever in the whole world, and especially in the land of Israel. So he says, oh yes, and then again at the age of 33, what happened to him? They killed him, and he was buried. So saying all that, he claims to be the savior of the world. The one person, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So he said right there, nobody gets to heaven, nobody gets to God unless they come through me. If you want still yet a bigger picture of how small and how insignificant Jesus, this son of a nothing carpenter, born in one of the smallest cities, or the smallest city in one of the smallest nations of the world, I did even more of a study to find out how narrow that gate really was. So I went to a study, so an actual Christian perspective on a man named Carl Hobbes' work. And a man named Carl Hobbes, I think back in the 70s, he did a study on the population of the world ever. Everyone to live on the face of the planet ever. But he did it from 50,000 B.C. Now we know biblically, because I, I went to a true biblical perspective, which was only a 4,000 B.C. perspective instead of a 50,000 B.C. perspective, and I'll tell you how I came up with my figure here. But Carl Hobbes decided that from the time he did it, and then when they had done his work in 2006, that there had been since 50,000 B.C., all the way to 2006, 111 billion people. 111.2, excuse me. 111.2 billion people to ever live on the face of the planet. Again, I looked at a modified work from 4,000 BC, and then I moved it up and did my own rough estimate to 2013, where we have over 7 billion on the world just living now. And it comes out to a number right around, roughly around 90 billion people. From 4,000 BC to today, right around 90 billion people. And Jesus claims to be the one to save all of mankind if that's not a narrow gate and those qualifications or I would say and actually in the flesh the disqualifications of him being the one of all his small beginnings I would say there's no way that this son of a nothing Jewish carpenter born in a nothing city in what the world scorns as nothing Israel there's no way that he could be the Christ. Or there's no way that he could be the Messiah. Well, what did Jesus say in verse 13? Enter by the narrow gate. Narrow. He really literally meant narrow gate. There's probably not a person on the face of the planet that was more narrow than him as far as 
narrowing it down to one person and putting all that responsibility of 90 billion people on this one physically in the natural nothing person. He was really a narrow, narrow gate. Notice also, as we move on, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. Notice he says that there's only two gates. There's only one narrow there's only one narrow one that leads to life. And only one broad one that leads to destruction. In our world today that we have live in, 2013, in our world, people claim that there's thousands of gates to get to heaven. Thousands. We have the major ones, we have Christianity, we have Islam, we have Buddhism, we have Hinduism, we have isms, 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 isms. We have thousands of, over the whole world of isms. All these supposed gates where people say, eh, I can get to heaven because I can go through this gate. But Jesus only gave two gates. Enter by the one narrow gate or enter by the broad gate. A gate. And he goes on to say, skip down to verse 14. I, I hope that's not going too far for you guys going down that one verse there. We'll come back to the wide gate in just a moment, or just a little bit, but I want to finish out the narrow gate because there's more things that we need to look at about the narrow gate. Jesus goes on to say that that narrow gate, that narrow way, that narrow gate, that the way is difficult. He says the way is difficult. Why did he say that the way was difficult? Well, we already looked at one reason that that narrow, that gate was narrow, and we already looked at one way because that way transfers over to uh, why that way would be difficult then. Because the Bible says that one of the ways in which somebody can be saved is putting all of their trust, all their hope, all their everything upon Jesus Christ. Yet, he's a narrow gate. I'm even looking at it from, I've chosen this path. And I'll even look at Jesus as a human being and I'll say, wow, that's narrow. That is really, really narrow. Man, Lord God, could you have picked anyone more or less qualified for the job? Even the homeless guy on the street, he could have been born to somebody wealthy. Jesus' family didn't even have wealth. He wasn't even powerful. So that's that's number one. So Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. The way is difficult because of faith. It's hard to every day wake up and put your faith and your hope in this Messiah in this Christ that had such a small beginning. And it's such an invisible thing. Faith is such an invisible thing. It's hard to just have faith many days. That's one of the ways that the road is difficult. Hebrews 12.11 says, Therefore, since also we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not only do we have the fight of faith that we have to keep every day, to keep trusting upon this narrow gate 
that we have to get to heaven, but we also have the sin of the world that's so out there and so ready and so available that it's all just right there. And what did Paul say, or excuse me, what did the writer of Hebrews say in 12.1? He said, let us lay aside every way and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Not only do we have the sin of the world that it's all over, it's all right there, but it, what did he say? It so easily ensnares us, that sin does. We even have Jesus saying in Matthew 10.22, he says, you will be hated for my name's sake. He says, he's saying people won't like you. Because you believe in me, people won't like you. People will hate you. He says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So we have to have faith. We have to abstain from sin, the sin which so easily ensnares us. We have people that won't like us, Jesus said. And we have to endure in all that. And when you hear the word endure, folks, the word endure is not sitting back on your easy chair and grabbing an ice cream cone and sitting back and, and watching a good cartoon on TV or watching a good movie on TV. The word endure means it's like climbing up a glass hill with roller skates on. Climbing up a hill covered with ice, with ice skates on. That's endurance. Endurance is hard. That's another way that the way, that's another reason the way is so difficult. And again, in Mark 8, 34 and 35, he said, <clears throat> when he called the people together himself with his disciples, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. That's another reason why the way is difficult is because we have to follow Jesus. We have to follow his teachings. That's part of the way. The way is difficult because we have to put our faith and trust in him. The way is difficult because people won't like us. The way is difficult because there's sin and it so easily wants to ensnare us. The way is difficult because he says, follow me. Do the things that I do. Be obedient to my teachings. Be obedient to me, one of the least of all mankind that was ever born. One out of 90 billion to live on the face of the planet. And he didn't say this way was the right way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If Jesus was a fraud, which he easily could have been outside of the things that I can tell you and I can trust and I know that he wasn't, but saying all that, he was the least likely candidate that I, as God, if I were God, would have sent to be the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. The way is narrow. The, the gate is narrow. And the way is difficult. Wow. In other, way, in other words, salvation is deciding to live a life of trust toward Jesus Christ and obedience towards his teachings until the day you die. So, here in verse 14, we have, or okay, so we have verse 13. Let's finish verse 
13, 14. Sadly, Jesus says, excuse me, I lost my place. Hold on. Going back, just one more point. Again, I reiterate it again. The gate is narrow and the way is difficult because of all the things we just talked about. And sadly, 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 we have verse 14, first word. Let's read the whole verse. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who will find it. Because of that, verse 13, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So many people will go in by the wide gate, by the destructive gate, because they'll see that the gate is narrow and the way is difficult. Whether you're on that gate or whether you're on that difficult path or whether you're looking at that difficult path, Jesus is saying because the path is difficult, people will choose the broad and easy way that leads to destruction. But why is that way in verse 13? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Why is it so wide and why is it so broad and why does it lead to destruction? But of course, there's only one reason why it's so broad and why it's so wide and that's because it means sin. See, naturally people love sin. It's what comes to us naturally. The Bible says that we're born into sin. And we can switch off that wide path, which is all sin, and we can switch to the narrow path. But that means, Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me daily. So the wide path includes whatever you want. It's easy. It's broad. It's wide. And many will go in by it. What things are easy for us to do in our lives? Oh, it's easy to hate people. It's easy to be on the internet and look at things that men love to look at on the internet that aren't holy, that aren't good, that aren't godly. It's easy, either race, whether you're a man or you're, whether you're a woman, it's easy to look at the opposite sex and be lustful toward those that are of the opposite sex. That's easy. That comes easy. It's easy to break the law. It's a desire that's in our flesh. It's easy to be disobedient to our parents. It's easy to speed. It's fun, in fact, for your flesh to speed. It's easy and fun. I used to think it was really fun to steal. I was a great thief before I came to know Jesus. It's easy to steal. And it's fun when you get away with it. Or it was, for me, fun when I got away with it. Well, folks, that's sin. And what did Jesus say was the end result of that wide gate and that broad way? That it leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So as I read this section of Scripture, I can't help but be sad. Very, very, very sad. 
Sad, actually, in fact, the other night. Sad, I was crying. I was so sad. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many will go in by it. And few will travel. Few will go the road, the difficult road, and follow the narrow gate. Few will actually take the path to life in heaven and stay on it until they walk through the narrow gate. Because trusting and following Jesus is too hard. That breaks my heart. Christ gave up everything. He gave up heaven. He gave up eternity. He gave up perfection. He gave up everything in order to come down here to this sinful, sin-filled, wicked planet. And He did it, why? Only to die for the sins of man. Only to die for the sins of wicked people. And again, like we talked about earlier, even the religious leaders that were supposed to be waiting on him, all they did was turn and they hated on him. Why did he do that? He did it for us. He did it for mankind so that we could have fellowship with God and know God intimately and have eternal life with God forever. So I ask every one of us to look at our lives right now because in America, the, the view of Christianity is very warped. Everybody claims to be a Christian. 80%, 90% of everybody you'll talk to on the street, at your job, wherever, will say, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, Jesus, I, I believe in Jesus. But yet Jesus said here that narrow was the gate. And the way was difficult. And that only few would find it. And yet polls in America here have shown that 75 to 85% of Americans believe that they're on that difficult path. Yet even after Jesus said here, narrow was the gate and difficult was the way, and few there be that find that narrow and difficult way, and yet the majority of people in America believe that they're on that narrow and difficult path. If Jesus said few would be on the path to life, and many would be on the path to destruction, but yet here in America, out of the 305 or 10 or 20 million people that we have, the many say that I'm on the path to life, and the few say, oh yeah, I just don't care. Who's wrong? Because in my estimation, in my study of the Bible, God has never been wrong, ever, not one time. He's never been wrong. Yet we have people in America that disagree. They say that they're right and God's wrong. So I have to ask again, which path are you on? Are you leading a difficult path? Are you going down the difficult path to life or broad and easy to destruction? Are you putting your trust in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone to save you daily? 
and diligently following the teachings of, teachings of Christ that he gave you to live your life by daily? Are you diligently trying to keep those? Are you diligently looking at what Jesus said, how to live your life? And are you diligently leading that life? Because he said that that pathway was difficult. And I can tell you that that pathway is difficult to deny myself daily to pick up my cross daily and to follow after Jesus daily. I can tell you that that path is difficult. There's nothing easy about that path. Nothing easy at all. I was just calling out to God in prayer the other day, and I was questioning and asking God, why is this pathway so difficult? Why is my life so hard spiritually? Why, Lord? Why is it so hard? Why, 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 why? And God spoke to my heart and he said, difficult is the way that leads to life. And few there'll be that find it. Few there'll be that find it. So he answered me with this scripture when I asked him why my life, why my spiritual walk with God was so difficult. He said, difficult is the way that leads to life. Or can you say, I live for me. Do you live your life the ways you want to live? Or do you run from sin and obey Christ daily? Do people know you love Jesus by the way you live your life? I'm challenging you again. Examine yourselves. Examine your life. Are you on the difficult path? Or would you say, I don't have any spiritual difficulties? Yeah, you know, I believe I'm, I'm just going to be okay. Or are you following Christ? Because it's difficult to follow Christ. It won't be an easy path. I can tell you it's not an easy path. But what Jesus did for us, and what he went through for us, his torture, his punishment, his persecution, his leaving all eternity to come down here for us, if you just looked at that, and you just looked at what God did for you, and what He's doing for you daily, it's not that hard to say, well, how, can I, how can I experience, why don't I want this love? Why don't I want what He has for me? Yeah, I know things aren't going to be difficult, but you know, in life, I realized one thing a while ago. What in life that's worth it? Relationship. Good job. What in life that's really worth it isn't difficult? Relationship is difficult. A good job, making your bosses happy, that's difficult. That's real difficult. But they're worth it. Having a family, children, that's worth it. But that's hard. It's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a husband. It's hard to have a relationship. But anything worth in life, anything that's worth it in life, is worth it being difficult for. Having a relationship with Christ is worth the difficulties that come along with it. But you can sit there and say, and it's easy to say, as I said earlier, I'm just not sure that Jesus is the way. I'm just not so sure that Christ is the only way to heaven. But, Mr. but Pastor Ed, how about all those ways out there 
How about all those ways out there that people claim to have that they claim the way to have the gate to heaven? What about all those ways, Pastor Ed? And to that, I will tell you that if that's you today, God's not mad at you. God's not even angry with you. But God did show me an aspect of last week's study that we did, Ask, Seek, and Knock, that applies to the end of this section of Scripture. And He didn't show it to me until after I was already done with last week's study, and I started on this week's study. And here's the aspect of Ask, Seek, and Knock that God wanted us to know for this week, for how do I know that Jesus is the right way? For how do I know? It is a narrow gate, and it is a difficult way. Why would I even be excited about going down that way at all? Look at this aspect of God's promise to anyone that asks, seeks, or knocks. What more important, what better way would it be? What better way would there be for an invisible God to show someone that doesn't necessarily believe, but that's interested, but by answering the ask, seek, and knock. God wants His desires to reveal Himself to everyone. To everyone on the face of the planet. Every man, woman, or child, God wants to reveal Himself to you. So what better way for an invisible God to reveal himself to, by, to somebody when he gives you a promise, if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek God, or if you seek God, you will find him. And if you knock on the door of God's house, God will open that door and let you in. Folks, God's putting a fleece out there for you. If you'll do these things, if you'll check me out, if you'll put your face toward me, if you'll ask me who I am, if you'll just ask me if Jesus Christ is real, if you just seek me, if you seek out who I am, he said you shall receive and you shall find. So God being though invisible, Jesus being the narrowest gate that there probably is on the whole planet of 90 billion people ever since Adam and Eve were born until today, well, I'd be one of the narrowest people to pick. I wouldn't have picked him, but God did. God wants to reveal him to you. If you'll ask, if you'll seek, and if you'll knock, God will reveal himself to you. God is doing and has done and is doing everything he can to get people's attention so that we would come to Christ be saved from our sins, and be born again. He desires you to inquire of Him. He desires you to seek Him. He desires you to ask Him. So that what, what's the end result of asking and seeking in God's eyes? If you ask if Jesus Christ is real, God wants to reveal Himself to you, He will. If you ask or if you seek God to see who He is, He will reveal Himself to you. And the end result is he'll reveal himself to you. And then you got to knock on the door of God's house and you got to talk to Jesus and you got to come and what Jesus said, surrender your life to me. Let me be your Lord and make a decision to come and follow me. But he would never ask you to do that until he really was able to reveal himself to you. But in order for him to reveal himself to you, he wants you to ask him. 
He wants you to seek him out and he wants you then to knock. Are you asking? Are you seeking? And are you looking to knock? Because that's God's heart and that's what he wants out of everybody. And the good news is, is that God loves you and he desires you to love him back. If you realize today that you're not on a difficult road and entering in by the narrow gate that leads to life, or you're on that path and because it got too difficult, you walked away from it or you walked off of it and took the broad path, then please look at what Christ has done for you and how God wants to reveal himself to you. And please start today to take the time out of your busy life and take God up on those promises, those great and mighty promises that he gave us last week. Ask Seek and knock. Ask him and he will reveal himself to you. Seek him out and you will find God. You will find Jehovah. You will find Jesus Christ. You will find him. He promised it to you. And if you do these things, God says, that you would receive. But if you don't show God any interest now in him? If you don't show him any interest at all now while you're alive, and you don't spend any of your time now asking him anything, seeking him, and knocking on his house, then you'll never find him because he'll know for all eternity if you didn't want to be interested in him now, you aren't going to be interested in him and spending forever with somebody that you didn't want to spend any time with or get to know now. Please cry out to him and ask of him and seek him out and come to knock on his door on the door of his house please if you're there if you're a Christian and you listen to this and you say I am on that difficult road it is hard it's hard every day then I want to encourage you please keep fighting the good fight of faith as Paul told Timothy keep enduring keep enduring Jesus never promised an easy road He said it was going to be hard. You can expect a hard journey. But know that if you keep your eyes fixed on Him, it's easy to do. If you keep your eyes fixed on Christ, it's easy. The journey can be easy as long as your eyes are fixed on Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for Your love. Thank You so much for Your promises. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and your grace and your mercy that you pour out upon all of us, Lord. We love you, Lord, and I praise you and I thank you, dear God, for the words that you used in this sermon today, the words that you used out of my mouth today. I pray, God, in heaven that you would draw people to you, that you would draw men's hearts, Lord God, and that they would seek you and find you, that they would start asking you who you are, that they would start asking you to reveal yourself to them, and that, Lord God, that that would give you the opportunity that you would take you would take them up on their asking and you would take them up on their seeking. And the Lord God, you would let them into your house. Draw all men to yourself, Jesus, as you said when you were raised on that cross. Draw all men to yourself. And Lord God, I pray salvation for anybody that's listening to this message that's not saved. Please God, save them. And Lord, for all of us that are on that difficult path, I pray, dear God, that you would help us to stay on that difficult path. Help us to keep trusting in you. Help us to keep obeying you. Help us us to keep fighting the good fight of faith. 
and draw nearer and closer unto you, dear God, with a, with, a, with a pure conscience every day of our lives and protect us from the attacks of Satan, Lord God. I just bless you and praise you, dear God. Use these words of mine to reach out to those people that need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.